You're listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Each week, we take a single episode of a science fiction TV series or movie and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm John. And tonight we are looking at two more episodes of Ultra Q. The first one is I Saw a Bird, and the second one is Garadama. Starting with I Saw a Bird. It is nighttime at the zoo, and something is disturbing the animals. It's disturbing a zookeeper, too, as he cringes in terror. The next morning, guards at the zoo discover that all of the animals have busted out of their cages from the inside, and they discover the zookeeper. All he can say before he collapses is, I saw a bird. In his hand, he grasps feathers. In a fishing village, everyone is distracted by a mysterious Viking longboat that has drifted into harbor. A mischievous young boy uses the distraction to steal a boat and head out to an island. Jun, Yuri, and Ipe have come to see the boat, which is abandoned. As they retrieve the ship's log, written in a foreign language, a small finch lands on Yuri's finger. And the ship melts and sinks. They just escape in time. The bird first follows Yuri, but then flies off and accompanies the boy. On the island, the boy forms a friendship with a bird, which he names Kuro. Jun and the gang consult Professor Ichinotani, who just happens to know how to read the language of the ship's log. It is from 998 years ago, and the final entry in the log is, I saw a bird. Impossible that the ship has been adrift for 998 years, Jun postulates that it came through a time portal into the present. Yuri relates the story of the bird, and Ichinotami has her locate the picture of it in his books. She finds it, but it is an extinct bird known as a Luragus. Was it 43 meters across? No, probably not a Luragus then. However, the last known appearance of a Luragus was about 1,000 years ago. So, time portal anyone? That night on the island, a storm is brewing and Kuro flies away. In the village, something terrifies and, as we see in the morning, kills all the animals. The boy, Saburo, is nearly caught by the people from whom he stole the boat, but Kuro comes to his rescue, driving the three adult humans off with his finch-like powers of flight, pecking, and chirping. Saburo, now knowing that everyone is terrified of Kuro, boldly goes into town to get some water. Ichinotani is notified, and he sends the police, who capture the bird and put him in a cage inside a jail. This distresses Saburo. Kuro, in the cage, rapidly grows into a 43-meter wingspan monster, destroying the jail, the town, and flying out to sea, passing his old friend Saburo one last time before he flies off into the sunset. The end. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, when I saw the bird flying around, the first thing that came to my mind was, it's only a rabbit. (laughs) (laughs) he he would have muscled those bars open and whoosh yes yes it's a norwegian blue (laughs) which fits with the 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 longboat yes yes Ah. yeah Uh 
but they the flock of birds was spotted in the 10th century in India. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, maybe somebody was out looking for a, a racy longboat and went all the way up to Norway to get it. Of course, the yeah, Norwegians course did the... have a lot of uh, uh, commerce back yeah. then. So. They never identified as a longboat, but as far as I could tell, it was a longboat. Yeah, it had the, the, the dragon head on it and stuff, yeah. Yeah. So... Never explained what caused the melting, though. I'm going to go out on the limb and say they never explained what caused anything that happened in this story. Oh, oh yeah, there's that, too. I forgot. <laughs> uh, Completely forgot my bad. that this makes... This has such a bizarre... I mean, I, we've said this about a few of the others. It's this has such a bizarre in it. narrative structure. <laughs> yeah. It, it it doesn't seem to go anywhere. <laughs> it's like, it's like and it doesn't make any sense on the way. <laughs> Yeah, it's like when uh, when when the person writing the script was working on, it, he was using note cards to assemble his thoughts. He dropped them, but didn't notice it, and just typed it up. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I had an ending here somewhere, but um, ah, hell with it. I don't need it. Uh, ah, damn it, the bird ate it. Mm-hmm. I'll get back with those birds. I'll get them. <laughs> Well, at least this kid fared a little bit better than the last couple. I mean, he didn't uh, get shot into space. True. That's a good thing. Yeah. I didn't get killed. I did get dragged on the beach there for a while. But, uh, yeah. Uh, He wasn't as obnoxious as many of the kids in the show. No. But clearly, if you're uh, precocious, you're going to get into trouble. Yeah. So don't be precocious. Do not be a precocious child. Yes. Tallest Um, nail gets hammered. I, 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 I'm not, you know, <laughs> some of this is so off the wall. Where do you go with it? So you've got Professor Ichinatani uh, asking Yuri to identify the bird. So she goes through hundreds of bird books <clears throat> and she picks out a, a bird. And we're going to just say for people who have not actually seen this, it is a perfectly ordinary looking finch. Yes. I mean, it's, it's just a finch. It, it's just a bird you have seen somewhere before. And, but she goes through all these books and she picks it out and says, that's it. First off, kind of doesn't look like the one we saw. <laughs> kind of? The beak <laughs> is all wrong. I mean, yeah. when the bird is in its large Eurus form, yeah, it does yeah. look a bit more like that. But in the that small drawing. form, nope. Not nope. at all. Nope. Nope. You would never identify that as, as the same bird. And I'll give him this, though. I'll give him this. The bit where she's explaining the bird, saying, yeah, that's the bird. And each and the time he's like, yeah, it's probably not the bird. And it's like, well, you know, that, that's what it looked like. I'm pretty sure. He says, well, was it 43 meters across? Because <laughs> hey, I don't always think asking I, the right questions. You always start with those questions because I think, you know, I'm thinking you would have mentioned that earlier if if the bird you guys saw was 43 meters across. But I'm getting the feeling you did not. So, therefore, it probably wasn't, right? No, no, it wasn't. Well, and that's not it. Because... <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Also, mm-hmm. what? speaking of things that make no sense, what happened at the beginning of this? Oh, at the beginning of it? Um, the zoo. Yeah, uh, there was a noise, a bunch of cages, things got scared, and then we see the zookeeper... Uh, kind of unconscious laying in the ground. And then cages that are messed Empty. up. Empty. 
and and the securities guards look at the cages and say these cages were busted from the inside out yes which implies that the animals themselves did it yes well no no uh, i think what happens is is the the birds figured out that it can grow big so uh, it goes inside a small space possibly eats the animal don't know and then it expands and destroys the uh, the enclosure. Why it does that, I'm not sure. Because if it can get in there and enlarge itself enough to eat an animal, or maybe it just finches it to death. Oh, death by a million <laughs> pecks. Wow. Especially since uh, I mean, it's a when, seed eater. Wow, jeez. When the guy catches oh. it, when he when he's holding the feathers, the feathers are bigger than that freaking finch. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah those are, those, those are big chicken feathers. feathers. They should have gotten some ostrich plumes. I think that would have been better. And I think the important part here for the listeners is that once this has been established, and, and again, John is speculating here as to what happened. The oh, guard yeah. says, the guard says the cages were burst from the inside. The animals are all missing. The lions, the tigers, mm-hmm. the bears. We never mm-hmm. hear anything more about the great zoo jailbreak of this well, the, story. Yeah, but well, that kind of goes with other episodes where they just kind of leave you hanging because just you know, ignore they, we show the picture of the train derailing and let's forget about the train there's no trains mm. here let's just talk about the big mole creature yep yep <clears throat> ignore that yeah so you're right um so we don't get that it wasn't clear to me it wasn't clear to me that the bird could in fact grow large well, until the end scene when he's inside. Until the, the well, obviously the in the end, yeah. When he does, when he does actually grow large, yes. Up mm-hmm. to that point, he's just a a bird, and yep. I couldn't figure out, you know, if he's if he's terrifying the animals and they burst out, or in the village, if he terrifies the animals, and and then when we see, we don't see the big animals dead, but we see a lot of dead birds. Mm, they're cheaper in the village. Yeah. <laughs> and just get those from the market. And it you're like, well, does that mean it can turn? I, I At that point, I was thinking, does that mean the thing is turned big? But we never see it. And it's small when we see it again. But then when it runs off the three adult humans in terror of this bird, I'm beginning to think, no, no, that little guy is feisty. <laughs> it's like he's, he's doing all this in his little feisty mode. Mm-hmm. And... So I, but of course it didn't help him any when the, the big burly cops leaped in the air and grabbed him and shoved him in a cage. <laughs> <laughs> they all jumped on it like it was a, going to escape somehow. Well, I guess, yeah. you know, since for some reason everybody was completely terrified by it. Hmm. <laughs> it. Yeah. It wiped out all the animals in the village. So they were all, they were all scared of it. Thank goodness Perhaps. it wasn't a spider. Oh, yes. No, that would have been bad. That would have been very bad. Um, Let's see. What else do we have in this? Uh, Let's see. As uh, in one of the shots, uh, the bird was flying around. And obviously they had problems with the bird wanting to go where it wanted to go. So they tied a string onto it. I can see that. (laughs) I wasn't sure if that was, uh, if this... The wings were flapping. So. So, yeah, no, it was. It looked like it was a real bird, but it was obviously on the end of something that it couldn't. Oh yeah, it was just off. like you know when you see jet fighters make a, a you know a, a large turn because it's on the wires and they're just 
you know, spinning it. Same thing with the bird, except the bird is propelling itself. Yeah. And, and I, I left out of the recap a very touching scene where the bird manages to crash into the water because, you know, that's how birds do. Yeah. And, uh, and he's drowning. And the boy mm-hmm. goes out there and rescues him. And, uh, you know, it's part of their bond forming. Yep. And that's why he wasn't killed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that Burst bird was from just within. waiting to kill that kid. Exactly. Uh, when, but, but then he said, oh, he saved me. I guess I'll, I'll let him go. Mm-hmm. He looked like a tastier morsel than Yuri, who was the bird's first target there at the yep. at the beginning. <laughs> I saw a bird. I'll put that in the captain's log. <laughs> yeah, eh, why not? Uh, did Vikings have captain's logs? I don't think so. I, that, I kinda... that seems like a that seems like a British maritime thing. Yeah. Also, the what was seen in the book on camera was just scribbles. Oh, that's why she wondered if it was Egyptian. Yeah, I guess. Well, you don't think they had somebody who could write a foreign language. It, that's why Ichinotami could read it. It was It's a doctor's uh, handwriting. Oh, of course, yes. It's in physicianese. Physician, yes, yes, huh. it is. So, um, yeah. Let's see. <laughs> I, I did find out that the, uh, the, the actor who played the kid, Haide. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I'm really messing his name up, sorry. Sizawa uh, ended up being an Ultraman uh, in a series from '66 to '67. Is it actually Ultraman? Or uh, let's see, Ultraman, Ultraman a special effects fantasy series. Well, that's it. That's Ultraman. Kuso Katsushuzu. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what party played? Because I have a feeling it's it's the one of the boys. Yeah. Well, I mean, <clears throat> very very annoyingly there for a while they had a boy. In Ultraman, but then they had another one that came in and replaced him for a few episodes, and, and I, I don't think this is the main kid. So I think maybe this might be the replacement kid. Uh, Samu. Yeah, I think that might be the replacement kid. Yeah. 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 Uh, Thirteen episodes. Thirteen. No. Mm-hmm. Wow. It looks like he quit acting after that, so it's like pretty much it. If that's the kid who was playing, yeah. Huh. Huh. Yeah, because there was a kid he was playing a part, and then and which was very annoying. And then one day he was gone. <laughs> could be him. One day he was gone. So yeah, thirteen episodes could be about right. Yeah. Huh. Well, and and coincidentally, that's the younger brother of Fuji, who is played by the actress who played Yuri. Oh wow. Okay. Interesting. Well, you know the the, the kid probably took direction well. Yeah, he wasn't as bad as. As some, and I don't just mean it because his character wasn't as bad. He was a little bit. He, I'll give him this. I'll cut the kid this. When he strolled into town, <laughs> you know, I got my bird and you're not stopping me from getting my water. Because apparently his little island doesn't have any water. Right. Uh, <laughs> I yep. make my way into town to get water. And uh, he, 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 did, he did well. You knew, I, without saying anything, you knew exactly what he was doing. He was like... Yeah, I'm the yep. man. Oh yeah, he had he had very good stage presence when he was walking through there. Yeah, you know? so that's probably why. Yeah, that's probably a really good reason why he was uh, hired on for that. So, physics question for you? Sure. Because because you that's exactly what you were expecting in this episode. Oh physics, yeah, definitely. Right? So you got this little bird. Yep. And he grows into a much bigger bird that looks nothing like the little bird. Right. And he flies. 
by flapping his wings. As birds do. As birds do. Would a 43-meter wingspan bird be able to destroy buildings with the backwash Hmm. from his flapping? Fling trucks through the air and just generally cause havoc? Well, probably not. That's my thought. I thought that that looked a little... um, What's the word for it? Ridiculous. Yes, that's the word. Well, Well, you know, it it is also... A bird that just moments before was a tiny bird. That's so true. maybe it has other things. I mean, look at like Mothra. Yeah, it's bigger than 43 meters, 140 feet, but still. Yeah, Rodan is the prime example. I mean, Rodan has his supersonic flight and he destroys everything he goes underneath it. But right, you know, exactly. Rodan is, is, um, Rodan is a fictional creature and this is a real bird. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You know what I mean, right? I mean, it, yep. it's like it's supposed to be a bird. Rodan's supposed to be radioactive powered somehow. Otherwise, he couldn't fly supersonically. But I, 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 I realize applying a standard of realism here, it's just why? Why did they do that? Well, it's like I don't quite understand. I don't quite understand where they were going with this in, in the first place. So then the bird flies out of the jail. He flies out past where the boy is just hanging out with June and the gang uh un, you know unwillingly hanging out with them I'm not sure if they're holding him hostage or not and uh bird comes bird flies over them bird flies off boy waves sayonara mhm bird flies off some more that's the end yep that's it i i i don't know where i'm supposed to go with that so that bird's still out there yeah, flying I would, over I would things, yeah. eating yep. animals. Once again, I mean, one of the things about these shows, you know, you take it back to Rodan, Godzilla. They're they're radioactive. You you shouldn't be able to, because radioactive is magic. You shouldn't be able to kill them. I mean, there's there is a there is a logical. God, I hate to use the word logical. There is an <laughs> in universe reason why you can't just shoot Godzilla in the brain and kill him because he's magically radioactive powered. This is yeah. a bird. <laughs> this is a bird. I assume that a jet fighter can fly by, shoot it down, dead. Not a problem. Probably. You know, we didn't see any uh, jet fighters, but, you know, maybe that's what happened afterwards. Right. I mean, so they don't even need to tell us. It's like this bird isn't going to make it because we're going to go kill it. And so that's the end. This story is over. Mm-hmm. Also, the time portal. What? I know June's a science fiction writer, so he's allowed to do that. Yeah. Time portal. Once again, there's a lot of, we'll just ignore that bit. Yeah. Continue on. Let us keep going. (laughs) Let us keep going. I, 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 okay. Well, in that case, (laughs) let's, uh, you have anything else on this particular uh, story? Uh, Otherwise we'll turn our attention to the other one. I thought the city attack was pretty impressive, but then I looked it up and it turns out it was stock footage from Rodan. (laughs) Yeah, see, and that's exactly <laughs> what it looked like. It looked like Rodan footage. Oh, and um, it's uh, Litra. I didn't say pronounce it. The the first bird monster we li- saw. Li- li- yeah, Litra, something like that. Yeah. yeah. Was it the same? Same same uh, costume model? thing, yeah. but dressed with feathers. Yep. Redressed slightly, yeah. Well, they like to do that, as we'll see in the very next episode. <laughs> okay, well, let's take a look at Garadama which is not related to Commander Adama. In the mountains, a boy has found a meteorite. When he takes it to school, they know something is weird. 
It's not normal meteoric iron. It's a, a special kind of iron that's very lightweight. Meanwhile, something is interfering with radio waves. The meteor is taken to Professor Ichinotani, and he and his team analyze it. It is a special alloy made by aliens called Tilsonite, and it is periodically transmitting radio signals. He asks to go see the site of the meteor impact. Jun and Ipe fly him to the mountains near a lake formed by a dam. Two women are sightseeing on the dam. Once there was a village which has been covered by the lake. One of the two women even lived there when she was young. They go out on a boat so they can look down on the underwater village. With everyone on or near the lake, a new, larger meteorite crashes into the water, stranding the boat high on the mountain and splashing all of the water out of the lake. First, Jun called Yuri and sends her to contact Ichinotami's team at the lab, and then he and Ipe go to rescue the women on the boat. The meteorite cracks like an egg, and out pops the monster Garamon, which proceeds to hop around, crushing the now-no-longer-underwater village. Independently of one another, Ichinotani and Yuri surmise that the meteor in the lab is somehow connected with the monster. They place the meteor in a radio-frequency-proof cage, and the monster dies. But not before it wrecks the dam. The end. Um... <laughs> Maybe... Yeah, okay. Yeah. Another one <laughs> that really... <laughs> kind of just seems to ping-pong, uh, pinball around uh, from thing to thing, and then... Yeah, it seemed to have better direction than the last one. But still, the direction it went was kind of... Yeah, there really wasn't... Uh, I don't know. The ending was flat, if you ask me. Yes, I would say that the ending was flat. Yes. Um, I will I will say this. I was interested in what was happening. Oh, yeah. yeah. Through the course of this story, I was I was watching it. I was kind of going, all right. There's a mystery here. What's going on with the mystery? And uh, we're up in the, you know, we're going to these places out in the hill. And, and then there's this village underwater. What's that all about? And and what's on with the radio signals? And, you know, are the kids going to make it back to the school safely? Um, just all this stuff. And then at some point I'm watching it and I'm going, you know, this is 20-some minute show. Mm-hmm. And we're... <laughs> 17 18 <laughs> minutes into it yep and i'm not sure what's happening yet it's still mystery it's still just building up all the pieces what the heck's going on here so when it pops and when uh garamon pops out i'm thinking this seems like way too late in the episode for this to be happening what the heck are they going to do? Oh, they're going to drop a Faraday cage over the control thing, and it's going to die. All right. Yeah, that's it. That's it. I, this is very important. Um, yes. This really, this really is important. Um, earlier today, I was recording a, uh, another episode of the podcast with Simon. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it, it's uh, I'll, to tip you off, I don't know which ones we're going to get to first, but it's the Bugs episode, Pulse. And in it... We were postulating how a building could be shielded from all 
EM pulse and radio frequencies. And yeah. and he and Simon asked me that question. And I said, I really wish John had been on this podcast because <laughs> he could explain this, and I cannot. But that is that that cage is essentially a Faraday cage that they put over it, right? Yes. Yeah. How and, does that work? Well, um, I think what they put over it would do a really fine job of keeping small finches in it. But radio waves, I kind of doubt it because it doesn't have a bottom and it wasn't grounded. <laughs> wasn't grounded and it was bottom. How, how does a yeah. Faraday cage work? A Faraday cage works by uh, essentially making a, a good way of describing it, making something that the radio waves can't get through. Is is it have to be like precise distances to, to interfere with the certain frequencies? Is that yes. how it works? Pretty much. I mean, if you could have a solid one, and that should block pretty much everything. However, in practice, that's very difficult to do uh, with any high degree of uh, quality. Does it um, need any active capacity to it, or is it an entirely a passive system? Uh, it's a, a passive system. Uh, if you look at a microwave oven, the reason mm -hmm. you can see the food being cooked in there is that it's essentially a Faraday cage keeping the microwave radiation in. The holes that are the size that you can see through are just small enough that the microwaves can't go through it. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, so designed that that that's kind of what I was thinking when I when I was babbling on my right. I think because I know I've had this discussion with you before and I was the podcast, so I know I've talked about this with John. So, I think my recollection is that this has to do with disrupting the waves going through and therefore it's it's attenuated to the signals yes. you want. Yes. Yeah, it filters it out. It, essentially, <laughs> it's a mechanical filter. Now, the cage they put onto it would be just bang up wonderful if you were doing a high uh, high voltage experiment and needed to keep a piece of equipment from getting an arc struck to it because if you earth that cage anything inside of it would be pretty much saved from the electricity hmm. because the electricity would hit the, the cage the then cage go, to ground, go to ground and yeah. if you touched it then chances are you wouldn't get much of a shock because you'd have a higher resistance than the earth hopefully hopefully not you'll You'll get a nice shock. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, um, I, I think that the robot that was sent shows the incredible hubris of the aliens, <laughs> uh, it, because it, it just had the uh, the brain that apparently was sending out just random messages to the robot because it just kind of walked around in the the bed of the uh, the lake kind of randomly dancing like it was trying to attack things or look at stuff but yeah who knows but the only action that it seemed to be uh active in was uh destroying the boat on the cliff and yeah. running into the dam and even then it was more like it was just kind of fumbling its way through the dam and smashing up whatever happened to be lying around yeah and and i i i kind of think that the reason that they went to the trouble of having an underwater village mm -hmm. <laughs> was so that they would have something for scale for the monster ah. to step on. Yeah, I didn't think of that, but yeah, yeah, exactly. And and here is the problem. Now, this particular monster, Garamon, mm -hmm. is probably the most iconic monster from Ultra Q. It's It's on all the 
CD cases and oh yeah, and it's the artwork. It's very striking. <laughs> it, it is. It is the creature that's that's in there, and I didn't know that it was coming in this episode. So when it cracked out of that egg and it popped <laughs> up, I go Pigmon because <laughs> in Ultraman there is a virtually identical creature mm-hmm. called Pigmon, which is human sized. Oh. And it's friendly, and it likes red balloons, but that's another story. And <laughs> so, and it sacrificed its life to save save our heroes in in Ultraman, and it has been back throughout the years in in various Ultra series as Pigmon. So I saw this, and I'm like, "That's Pigmon," and I tried to I go, "Oh, I knew he was in the show, and there he is." I he's never been giant though. Right, so I'm having a really hard time in my mind <laughs> projecting him as a giant monster. He has always been a silly little monster that hides behind bushes, you know, <laughs> and cowers and stuff, and then and then comes out and helps people when they're in trouble. So this monster is like I'm having trouble with its size, and then even with the little tiny village down there, it's like it's got to be that. But here's the thing: mm-hmm. they're not the same monster. Uh, Pigmon apparently has more bony looking legs. Otherwise, it's freaking identical. Hmm. And if you look them up, Pigmon, P-O-G-M-O-N, and, and Garamon, G-A-R-A-M-O-N, and put them side by side, I challenge you to tell them apart if you, <laughs> you know, aren't looking at their names uh, at the moment. And so they like to reuse costumes. I think that's where I was going with that ultimately. But yeah. I was... You know, it was the the scale thing was bugging me, and I just well, like, and I kept thinking, no, Pigmon's a good monster. <laughs> he's a good guy. I've been expecting a good guy monster all along, and it turns out he's just a dumb, maybe robot. Yeah, I... they called him a robot, but he did drool a lot when his brain was uh, fried. Well, that's so uh, robot fluid. Yeah, you know, you can get that in uh, fifty-five gallon drums. Yeah, you need more than 55-gallon drums for that guy. Well, yeah, you get a lot of them. At the... Very much, very much. Uh... <laughs> the yes. Quickie Mart, yeah. It was, it was definitely a, a, a dumb plan. And the plan is, mm-hmm. even makes weirder sense, because didn't they say they found one in... Um... Libya. Desert Libya. of Libya. That was it. Yeah. I was thinking Tunisia, but no, it's Libya. Yeah. But they didn't um, say anything about a giant robot. Uh, not yet. That's true. This one's kind of interesting because it ended with, well, I mean, who knows? The aliens might try again. I mean, I suppose they might try again, but based on the way this show goes, no, that's the end. That's the last we've seen of that. And uh, (laughs) and, um, uh, it was a dumb plan from the aliens. And Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, there we go. Yeah, it's a (laughs) crappy failsafe. That's all I can say. Yeah. (laughs) Faraday cage, boom. Here's a question for you. As this yeah. was a robot, could the technology in it be what let humans create their own giant robots later on? Oh, like in Ultraman Z. Yeah. Yeah, because Ultraman Z is, is definitely this universe. Yeah, um, and, and Tilsonite, maybe that's like the yeah, the material the that, that uh, you know, makes things strong enough to hold up to these otherworldly creatures that are attacking. Do you know why I'm going to say no? No. And here's why I'm going to say no. Not not because it isn't a very good idea, okay? But in these shows, 
if we take the technology to from another species or from something else to create our own robots, we make them look the same. <laughs> right? I mean, Mecha Godzilla, <laughs> Godzilla, I mean, that's that's what they do. When when they took King Joe, they made another King Joe. You know, <laughs> yeah, well, they would have made a Mecha Garamon out of it. You know, their first monster would have been Mecha Garamon. And he'd have been bouncing along in that stupid way. And you'd go like, really, guys, really? That's what you thought was a good idea. <laughs> what about <laughs> arms that work? Yeah, exactly. Not just flop in front of him like a, like a T-Rex hands or something. Yeah, it was except huge T-Rex <laughs> Yes, very floppy too. Yeah, yeah. Um, they rescue the girls mm-hmm. uh, from the boat. Not not the pilot. He obviously died. Yep, he died. He got incinerated or crushed or who knows what. Um, how did they get all the way across the the valley? It had dried uh, up. Well, <laughs> it was no longer you know twelve foot of silty mud. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I know where you're going right. with that. It would be yeah, impossible I mean, to get there. Yeah. And all the times they had to check back with the lab or all that kind of stuff. Just you know, one of them went off camera and then came back you know a scene later it's where he had his cell phone yeah uh, yeah are they like running to a police call box on the side of the road or something like he that he said or? he Ichnatani did say to jun uh, go see if you can call from one of these houses nearby oh okay all right now not that we ever saw any houses <laughs> that nearby, would have helped. but uh but he did say that and uh i guess you know with a the lake there there probably would be people if it's a you know a dammed lake, there probably would be people there. If nothing else, people who fish in it yeah, to point. get their living yeah. and things. So I mean, it's it, and there was a, obviously a guy running boats on it, right, with uh, the the observ- observation port in the side of it, so you could yeah, so look at the drowned city. Probably the people who used to live in the village. Yep, exactly. Move them up the side of the hill. What I want to know though is how the heck did all the water get out? I don't know. I was trying to figure that out. The, the best I can come up with is that the meteorite or robot pod or whatever you want to call it was so hot that it vaporized it all or or it absorbed it and used it as energy oh there we go or <clears> it hydrogen it, it siphoned it off to another dimension where they needed water because you know there's no water in the universe there's other <laughs> dimensions they're definitely hard up for water yeah i suppose we definitely saw a lot of water being they, it, it sounded like at one point they said it was, the dam was being destroyed. Right, exactly. But, which made perfect sense. And then the water was sloshing down the river and the boys were in jeopardy. Uh, they sent the teacher and the boys back to try to cross the river. Mm-hmm. And the bridges were being washed out. And these are down downriver from the dam. And because upriver from the dam would not have been uh, an issue. But anyway, well, uh, downriver from the dam. Bit, but yeah. And we saw the bridges going out, and the teacher's like, well, we'll just have to go further down and see if we can find another one. And that's the last we ever saw them. Well, I guess they didn't find that bridge. Yeah, they're they're still looking for that bridge. But, you know, that would imply that the dam has been busted. But we saw water being flushed over it. Yeah, just sloshing over the top. Sloshing over the top. So it was just, you know, enough of an overflow that caused the bridges to wash out. So it was like a flash Um, flood. Yeah, it could be that. And then we did see a lot of steam. Yeah. Not so steam maybe that went it is, anywhere. Maybe it, did, <laughs> maybe it did evaporate all the water in the lake. Maybe that was the idea. <clears throat> and in fact, even dried up the lake 
bottom so that they could run across it without sinking in 12 foot of silty mud. Because you know that if that was a... First off, right, when they were doing the observation down, that was the clearest water. Oh, yeah. And that that village was a long way down. Oh, yeah. There was a good 100 feet of water. Yeah. Yeah, they they were way over it. And the village was still in pretty darn good shape, all things considered. That Mm -hmm. it had been underwater since that girl... Well, she was pretty young, but still. Um, yeah. Yeah. I kind of wonder if uh, at that time in the, the mid-60s, if a lot of hydroelectric dams were being built and a lot of villages being flooded like that in, in Japan. It's possible. It's possible. I, I suspect that there was because, you know, Japan needs a lot of electricity. And yes, there would have been does. quite a bit of growth back then, so... You know, having they probably hadn't started doing atomic power plants at that probably point. I'm not, not sure no. when they started, but eh, that's a good question. I'll have to look that up. But yeah, a lot of hydroelectric, there plenty of mountains, so yeah, yeah. easy one to, plenty to water, do there. Money, yeah. So at plus, it makes lakes. People can fish in lakes. People can exactly. Live. It's, it's all uh, it's all. Good they can stuff. have a, a regional food that's based around it and get people to show up there for tourism. Look down at the village, so it's, we built our own attraction. Exactly. You think <laughs> I'm joking? our town right? and built our own attraction. That's a big thing In fact, if there. you look down there, you can see we left the we left a tablecloth and the place settings all set, and they're all just... <laughs> and the lights are on, and yeah. Yes, we left the lights on, too. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, another, another weird one. Another weird too one. Too much stuff in too short of time. And you know, and without a without a, a through line for the plot, yeah. Pretty right? much. I mean, they could have they could have spent some less time on ideas, and and more time on you know giving us some jeopardy and and uh, rising action and and a denouement and all that stuff. But it just I don't think those things were invented yet. It goes possible they were not they had not translated <laughs> those words to Japanese and therefore they were verboten. And, uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> well, I, there was a line in this film, um, let's see that I wanted to call out. And that is where Yuri is at the lab. Yeah. And she says something like, <laughs> um, I think I know what you're about see. to say. The, yeah. We've got the meteorite, which has been putting out signals. We've got the other meteorite in Libya, which is apparently nothing to do with it. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's just a chunk of the material. And and then you have the giant so it's putting out radio signals. You've got radio signal interference, which which the scientist admits is probably due to the meteorite because he says because Yuri says, Why didn't you tell people about this? Well, you know, we didn't want to panic them. Like, first off, why would that panic them? Mm-hmm. But okay. So we know that it's doing radio. The radio is being interfered with this is another meteorite in the same area that's come down Mm -hmm. and and yuri says something to the effect of i think that these things are connected (laughs) and which you know it it seems kind of obvious to me that you know their boss went to that place to investigate the meteorite thing and then there's another meteorite at that thing and it, it 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 it's pretty darn obvious that it's connected somehow. It has a right? high probability of being connected. Yes, it seemed it seemed pretty. It didn't seem like a huge leap of intuition there. 
And the scientist says, oh, you're talking like a journalist. We only deal with logic. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. um, That's like the the exact opposite of the professor. Itani, it's like, you know, any weird idea? It's like, hmm, yep, that's probably it. Time portal could be. Yeah, exactly. Time portal, gigantic shape-shifting birds. Yeah, yeah, you bet. Yeah, Giant so plants. which is why yeah. Ichinatani is the guy they call. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> first because all mm, the rest of them strange are all like, no, we only deal with logic. You're talking like a journalist there. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I liked when uh, Yuri was talking on the phone. She says, "Oh, you sound far away." Do you remember that that uh, era where you could actually I sound do. far away on the phone? I do. <laughs> I do. I, although, honestly. It had to be a hell of a lot further than I think you could be in Japan. Uh, yeah, I don't know. yeah, exactly. They, you know, there have to be like an ocean or something like that. But back in the yeah, I mean, I could see if you're 60s, talking from California different. to New York, you could you go, oh, you sound like you're mm-hmm. yeah, I'm in New York. It's like yep, yeah, we're yeah, I do. I I did make note of that line and thought eh, it's kind of funny. <laughs> How quaint. <laughs> Another thing that I distance. thought was kind of <laughs> distance something uh, I thought was kind of amusing uh, for our younger listeners. That's because telephones were analog mm-hmm. look it up and they look had to be up. amplified over thousands Distances. of miles of cable who which went under the oceans they still do but the digital it's different digital yes it's a different thing mm-hmm. the other thing i thought was interesting about this structure is uh, of this you know story in air quotes concept concept yes this concept art that this episode was yuri is finally convinced the scientists that maybe the radio waves are in some way connected. And she's like, you know, I'm thinking that this thing might in some way be controlling that <laughs> monster yes. thing. Can we, you know, and they're like, well, I mean, maybe. And because, because, of, because radio waves, and then suddenly the scientist's like, yeah, that's true. Radio waves. Can we, can we block the waves somehow? And all of a sudden they're like, yes, we can. Then we cut to Professor Ichinatani, who is completely, you know, cut off from them. He's not in one of those nearby houses on the phone. You can tell Ichinatani has come to the exact same conclusion. Yeah. Right? He's sitting there and like, yeah, this is obviously going to be connected to that, to that meteor control thing. So, therefore, Ichinatani remains in his place of being the smart guy. He's not diminished by Yuri, because he himself also came up with it. And at the same time, Yuri gets to be the hero because she came up with it for the action plan. Right, exactly. I, I, I think that was an interesting way to do it because it was unnecessary for them to have each Natani come to the same conclusion for this story. It, it, it serves no purpose whatsoever other than well, to save face for the character of each Natani. Exactly, yeah. So, yeah, that's a weird one. Mm-hmm. Anyhow... I don't know that I have anything else. Um, I like the prolonged shot of the Decatron tubes at the beginning of it. That was nice. Oh, right. For the, the, for the, the credits. Yeah, the uh, electrical counters. I, I generally have liked the credits on these episodes mm-hmm. throughout the series. The, the sort of, you know, they've got that opening Ultra Q thing so you know what you're watching. But then you've got the, a, a prologue and then they cut to credits. And usually the credits are in some way themed with something that's going on, like the spinning tire in SOS Mount Fuji, or the the shiny spinning hubcap, uh, and then running the credits to the music, it, it just it it has a sort of um, it has a sort of you know what guys 
to heck with corporate branding and consistency. You do what you want to do for these credits. <laughs> yeah, Knock exactly. yourselves out, guys. Try to make it fit somehow. Yep. Here's a little creative it, license. Go yeah, it, that's exactly what it feels like. It feels like a little creative license in this because you know what's going to happen. There's going to be a kid. We're going to have a strange ending. There's going to be a monster um, at, at some point in the course of the episode. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and, and, in, and there will be people 50 years later pondering, what the heck were they thinking? pretty much yeah and and once again you know once again when they're out in the country and this is true the last episode too it is just so well shot oh yeah definitely i mean the yeah the the cinematography is is surprisingly good in this series yeah i'm uh, you know i'm not we're not we're talking about the monster rampaging scenes through miniature village which you know for its time and for its what is 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 done well too but just the you know they they're out on location they're they're using interesting camera shots they're uh they're telling they're telling parts of the story visually mm-hmm. um yeah they they they're really they're really quite I'll say nice because that sounds really quite nice i have to say <laughs> but they're a lot more they're a lot more interesting than comparable era American television, which is extremely competent. Don't get me wrong. I mean, you look at any of the shows from that area in the, in the United States, they are extremely competent. Uninspired in many cases, but extremely competent. Mm-hmm. And, and these guys are extremely competent, plus they're throwing a little bit of visual interest to it. Mm-hmm. So... I, I do like that uh, about the show um, overall. Uh, uh, otherwise, I'm mostly bemused by it, the show in general. But <laughs> I think that's yeah. I think that's where I've gotten to on this. I'm just I'm bemused. I'm watching the episodes. I'm having a bit of fun, but I am a little bit on the what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like you're huh? really okay. I'll All watch right. this. Yeah. Oh, there. It's like different times. People, different times. Uh, what is, you know, yeah. Like, it's what is what is the story with that boy from the previous episode who's just, like, living on an island or something? Is, I know. Is, he just, like, stole the boat. It's like, didn't anybody notice him for the day or so he was out there? I mean, or did we not see the massive manhunt that was taking place on the island? Mm-hmm. <laughs> the missing boy. Yeah. yeah uh, you know... There's so many little things that could be solved by just one or two lines of exposition sprinkled here and there. Yes. Uh, and it would just really tie the series up. I mean, it might add another five minutes to an episode, but it, yeah, I think it would just um, smooth things out. <laughs> yeah, they, they could, uh, a good script editor. Yeah. A good script editor comes in here and gives us a little polish from a continuity standpoint and a logic standpoint, and it would. Uh, they could they could go far. This show could be famous. Yeah. Is, is Spielberg <laughs> doing anything this week? Yeah, yeah. Call him up and say, "Hey, we got an idea." I, I will be very interested, uh, very interested to see the new Ultra Qs that were done in the two thousands to see if they are the same style or whether they have updated for the times. Because certainly the Ultraman series from the 60s and the Ultraman series from now, <laughs> although intrinsically the same, 
they are very different. Oh, the ones now are much more watchable, even though they are very, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for Formulaic? here? Uh, Formulaic, yeah. Yeah, they're that. Um, but yes, they've got a, they have definitely, they've definitely adapted with the times to some extent while still, frankly, honoring the original, uh, uh, intent and purpose of the, of the, the show and the genre. So mm -hmm. yeah, I'll be, I'll be very interested to see what, what they do with the new Ultra Q, but we have to get through the old Ultra Q first. Yep. So I don't have them in front of me next, uh, what the next two episodes are. Well, that would be Tokyo Ice Age and Kenagon's Cocoon. How can they have a Tokyo Ice Age? We've got global warming, man. But, I know. Right. Well, you know, back then it could have been an Ice Age. That's true. I guess, yeah. I guess if you have a heat somewhere, you got to have ice somewhere mm -hmm. else. That's how that works. All right. I've been John, looking, thank you. Oh, oh I was to say, I've been kind of looking forward to Tokyo Ice Age. I saw some stills early on, and it's like, oh, that kind of looks kind of neat. I want to see what's going on there. So, <clears throat> Well, I just hope there aren't any giant Ice Age plants growing mm, up. Right. Yes. That would be... <laughs> thank you for joining me john oh you're very welcome it's fun <laughs> listeners i do hope you'll join us all again next time on fusion patrol we hope you've enjoyed listening to fusion patrol a listener supported podcast there are over 500 previous episodes available at fusionpatrol.com come join the conversation on twitter our website or facebook Find out how you can become a supporter at patreon.com slash fusion patrol. Supporters get early access to all regular episodes, bonus episodes, and more. There's even an optional podcast series where we're looking at the classic TV series Babylon 5. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf. This has been a Lone Locust production. On the next episode of Fusion Patrol, we'll be looking at the 1970 film Colossus, The Forbin Project. Come join the conversation.